This is WMPG 90.9 Southern Maine Community Radio from USM. In the Pocket, a talk show that showcases Mainers who are people of color. Each episode represents a member of the Maine community from art, culture, and business, the earth, wind, and fire of life. Embracing and exploring the Black diaspora and descendants of American slavery through conversation is the foundational concept of In the Pocket. The overall mission of In the Pocket is to create conversational space for all people of color that is documented and celebrated through sharing of life experiences. If you like what you're hearing and want to hear it again or want to check out our archive of past shows, look for us at inthepocket.captivate.fm or search In the Pocket on iTunes or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at In The Pocket and give us a follow so you never miss a show. Thank you listeners for tuning in to In The Pocket. I'm your host, Flo Edwards. Today, our special guest is Alphine. She is a holistic provider. And please, Alphine, introduce yourself. Hi, everyone. So I'm Alphine Natalie. That's A-L-F-I-N-E. N-A-T-H-A-L-I-E. I'm so happy to be with you today, Flo. Oh, I'm happy as well. Thank you. Tell me about your business. Yeah, so my business, what I do is I introduce people into the world of wellness and exploring uh, the practices and rituals that we all ought to nurture to live most vibrant lives that we can. Um, So I'm in the business of keeping people well and on the planet for as long as possible. (laughs) That sounds great and it also sounds like how do you do that? Yeah, yeah, you know, well that that is the main question that we explore with every conversation and and hopefully with every little meetup that I, you know, have with folks, even just walk. (laughs) So give me an example of somebody reaches out to you and wants to get should I say treatment you know the way that I would word it so initially when I got when I became curious about holistic health um, it was definitely presented that okay so the idea is that you get um, a degree or certified and you open a practice and you see people on a sort of appointment by appointment basis and you're kind of like a I don't want to say you're, uh, I wouldn't say an unlicensed doctor, but you're, you're a health coach ultimately. So, but you, you kind of have that similar system in terms of like, you're seeing people for a time period, have a conversation, then they go about their merry way. So I did that for quite some time before I realized that was, um, it felt boring to me. Now, why did it feel boring? Because I have, um, very strong, I feel like creative background and with the advent and evolution of social media, I was like, you know, there's so many ways that I could kind of reshape this to reach more people and use my time more efficiently because what ends up happening is you end up saying the same thing to folks all day long. And I'm into a stage now where I'm tired of talking. <laughs> um, so I'm really looking forward into getting into more kind of media projects, um, whether it's like mini documentaries, podcasts, or things that people can access anytime, any place to tune into this sort of wellness world. 
Um, so it's a bit of an off tangent from what you asked, but it paints a better picture of what I'm wanting to evolve my practice into. Well, I think it was great. Um, so we went into like what you are going to evolve into in that process yeah. of providing media for people. Yeah. yeah. Um, are you still seeing patients? I still, yeah, I still see folks. I'm, I'm always open to have conversation with anyone about, yeah, any way that they can help solve a problem mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Absolutely. Yes, okay. but more energies are being siphoned into, okay, how can I, uh, you know, take these conversations and, you know, add some color to it and make it enticing for any viewer to tune into this, tune, tune into the conversation and also glean something from it, even if they didn't have that question. Sometimes you don't know the question you have until you get an answer. And you're like, oh, I was just... Exactly. Yeah. It speaks to me. Yeah. Yeah. So are you able to make your sessions with your patients more exciting? I mean, I like to think. I, I try to be an exciting per person <laughs> to, make, to make it engaging for everyone. But, you know, I feel like more than excitement... I feel like as a culture, we kind of overemphasize excitement. We feel like something isn't worthwhile unless it's exciting. But what I, I feel like the, the other E word that I specialize in, in connecting with patients is more empathy. And having or providing a space where folks can explore, we're just gonna go with the E's for the next couple sentences, but providing a space where folks can explore their life and their health path and um, think about like things in their life that have brought them to the point that they're at now, um, areas that they might have neglected, areas that they might have overlooked. And so I'm ultimately there to be that kind of empathetic ear, um, safe cushion for them to fall on um, as I help them then reconstruct and repurpose um, like rituals and practices moving forward to like get them back into their best version. Yeah. Yeah. Well, nothing about that sounds boring. You know, it's not too boring, but you know, I just like, I like the more kind of free flowing experiences where I can like meet up with Flo on a Sunday afternoon and we can be in the sun and kind of create something spontaneous that is gonna outlive this moment, you know, through the menu of our audio or even our video. So I'm really interested in those like timeless pieces of content that will live beyond me. Mm. I'm interested in that too. Yeah. I know you said you were a family archivist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Does that mean like you're also a hoarder? Or you know what? <laughs> that is too funny. I can't wait till my parents listen to this because they're gonna burst out laughing. The hoarder is not me. Um, well, actually, you know what? We can we could reframe that. So materially, I'm not the material hoarder, um, but I am the we could say memory hoarder. The pictures of, I mean, someone's third birthday, report cards of my younger siblings, um, um, news clips from my dad in the 90s, like I have all that stuff. <laughs> um, or even like my grandfather passed away a couple years ago. I know an aunt of mine has his documents of like, cause he was like, it's I get it from him. He is also an archivist of his time. So he had, I remember when I first met him, it was my first and only time meeting him. We went back to Kenya as a family and uh, 
one thing that we got into was like all the documents that he had. He had files from his nursing studies. He had files from like, his cert I mean, I guess everyone would have their marriage certificate, but he just had like all the this little fol folder of all these documents and pictures. And I'm like, wow, you still have this? from the heart of the Congo all the way to Kenya. He's kept these papers over decades. So meeting him, I was like, yeah, that's where I get it from. Cause I am the same way. I have my report card from Reiki school, from King Middle, my graduation photos, <laughs> everything. So yes, family archivist right here. <laughs> and you also um, mentioned that you have an artistic background. Mm. Do you want to talk more about that? Yeah, Um. gosh, you know, so I feel like, the best way to introduce that would be to talk about my dad, who is the artiste <laughs> of the family. Um, so my dad, uh, folks that are familiar with Portland or have been here for a couple decades, I know there's that little... <laughs> um, folks that are familiar with, or that have been around Portland and are familiar with, I guess, the scene for the last couple decades, they might know him. So his name is Alfie Nota Ferre, and he was on and popping back um, from like the mid 90s all the way to like the mid um, early 2000s and he offered programming in schools, universities, um, parades, I mean all the little kind of town events so he would perform African traditional dance, drumming, um, he collaborated with another uh, museum director in town who's now since retired and they would just go around up and down all the way up and down the coast of Maine I mean inland up and down the coast of the US a bit they did some kind of projects and events in Massachusetts Georgia but he is the artiste of the family he's the one that kind of modeled um, creative expression creative freedom um, and like celebration of heritage we get it all from him so being born under him, I got to see up close like creativity as a lifestyle. And so yes, I I know all of that is built in with like it's built in within me. And so I've been meditating on ways that I can incorporate more of that into my expression every day. You know, because in the health world it can be it can feel kind of routine and ABC one two three like there's no um, art around it but that's my curiosity now like the holistic health arts how do we make this um, creative and accessible to all people right on yeah yeah sometimes I do see like medicine being stifling in mm. that regard and mm -hmm. very rigid mm -hmm. in order to be science it has to be reproducible right right, right. But one of my textbooks in school was the art and science of exactly. restorative dentistry. Yes. Where do you see like the art happening besides like maybe the media mm. component, but mm. can you give us another example of your art? Yeah, you know, I feel like the lifestyle is an art because it's going to be personal to every practitioner. And I feel like every practitioner is really someone that has a, anyone that has a body is a health practitioner. <laughs> oh, that's deep. <laughs> because, I mean, every day, ideally, we are doing things to keep ourselves alive and well. Um, I mean, why do we sleep? You know, why do we eat? Why do we breathe? Why do we, um, you know, yearn for intimacy and connection? Like, there are things that feel good and, and make us want to um, get through to, to the next day. So I feel like the arts beyond media um, is really just creating our 
it's bringing art into those mundane everyday things so you're not just making a smoothie it's it's it becomes a ritual um so whether it's like using incense or a certain playlist that you enjoy or maybe there's an outfit you love wearing i mean that's what it's turned into for me it's not just i'm not just making a smoothie it's it's a moment <laughs> it's an event <laughs> now I try to shorten it for the sake of media and you know accessibility but yeah there's ways that we can make you're not just taking a bath but you're making you're having a bath ritual you know you're not just soaking in the water but you're also soaking you know worries and tensions and and what as you drain the bath you're not just draining water but you're draining away you know all these excessive worry concern these nagging, um, repetitive thoughts that don't serve you, things like that. So that's where the art comes in. Yeah, it sounds very intentional. Yes, and movements and exactly. actions, behaviors. Exactly. Intentional, um, bringing awareness to the mundane. So when you pick up a smoothie, the mm. one that you haven't made, mm. what's the ritual with that? Ooh, well, you know what I love about that? I, I enjoy the interaction between me and the person who's going to make the smoothie or the person who has facilitated the financial exchange for me to get the smoothie, like making that uh, an intentional moment and giving gratitude to that person, whether it's verbally or or not, um, creating a space of warmth so that as I receive that smoothie, it's not just receiving a smoothie but it's receiving you know like just a positive uh exchange you know with eye contact or a smile or a compliment on attire or something like that yeah love it mm -hmm. wow. all right so i saw that you're reading a, a book that is more eastern culture yeah. centered on medicine yeah how is that comparing to western culture mm. Well, you know, speaking of ritual and arts, I think that these guys have had that mastered for years. And similar to what you're mentioned, talking about the art and science of restorative dentistry, is that what it was titled? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I feel like the Western, I mean, they're, they nail the science. They really love that uh, scientific method. <laughs> we love that here in the West. Can it be, as you said, can it be reproduced? Can someone else in some random location do it exactly as we did it and come to the same result? We've mastered that here in the West, whereas in the East, I feel like they were the connoisseurs of how do we make this artistic? How do we... How do we not just, um, so like there was a chapter that I was just reading this morning on procreation and childbearing and childbirth and all of that. And it's not just take them to the hospital, get a doctor and, you know, get things, get things cracking. <laughs> but it's, um, they talked about the way that we're treating the mother, what she's going to need during, all the, the environment that you can prepare to make sure that she has a comfortable or at least sensually pleasing um, moment and how that her being in a state of um, kind of sensual delight also then passes on to the child who is then born into a state of peace and wellness because that's how the mother was feeling and things like that so I really love the like affirmation and reminders that I'm not just a little bit loony well maybe I am but um, this 
um, desire to bring art into a more kind of scientific realm is something that's been done for ages. <laughs> yeah. Do you work a lot with mothers? Like, you know, while they're pregnant, I should say. I, I wouldn't say so, um, but I think what, what you might be picking up on or even alluding to is just like the mothering energy. I, I realize even though I haven't birthed a child, um, there are a lot of children that I've been responsible for in my life. And, um, and I do have just an affinity for children. And so I would say that, yeah, of the family, even though we have our mom, like I, I'm like the, the secondary mom or co-parent in a way. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, I don't uh, in, like deliberately work only with mothers or anything like that, but I'm very, um, I hold a special place to mother, for mothers, and just for the mothering um, experience because it's what nurtures our existence as humans. Yeah, that is true. So, in your practice, what are some of the things that you would prescribe for your mm. patients? Well, so one of the key things for what I do is that we don't treat, we don't cure, we don't diagnose, and we don't prescribe. However, <laughs> what we do or what I do is have conversations that include suggestions, include um, recommendations, include sort of anecdotes that the person on the other end can then, um, you know, sleep on and determine what what will what would be the best fit for him or her um so it's not one thing only um it will differ from person to person um, but oftentimes it involves some sort of adjustment to their nourishment intake what they're taking in and also um, a consideration to time and how they use your, use their time and what they use their time doing <laughs> because so much of holistic health is um, recognizing that wellness isn't in a bottle or a pill necessarily um, but it's also about the moments that we take for leisure it's about the moments that we take for connection it's about the moments that we take for creative expression that fill the holistic <laughs> image of an individual um, so it, it varies from person to person yeah I don't I couldn't say that it's ever been what like a same one-size-fits-all um, uh, prescription I say in quotations <laughs> it almost sounds like you're like a life coach you know I don't think folks would argue with you on that I don't think they would argue with you with you on that it's definitely it's definitely tied in there so uh, your inspiration to get in this field, did that stem from your mothering instinct or more than that? Yeah, um, my inspiration to get in this field, you know, I'm going to go back to 10th grade, um, a dear woman, <laughs> Mrs. Finnegan um, from Falmouth High School. She was the health teacher and it was in her class that these light bulbs began to go off for me, or I should say these question marks began to arise for me. We spent a lot of time learning about all the things that could go wrong with the body, whether it's acne and PMS and, you know, all the things that they would want to teach to teenagers about health. Um, which at the time, the way that it registered to me was like, here are all the things that can go wrong and here's what science has figured out so far in terms of how we deal with these things. And I'm like, gosh, there's so much talk on what can go wrong, but 
what about what goes right? Or how do we make it right? Or how do we um, create practices for ourselves so that these things don't go wrong? And she didn't have answers for me. So I headed to my school library and I began to read books on nutrition, on food, on um, spirituality, on um, on like, uh, what, what could we title that section? It was definitely nonfiction, but just basically the role that the individual plays in their health and wellness. I was looking for anything related to that because I felt like there was more, I felt like wellness was more in our hands than I was led to believe in that class. Um, so the inspiration stemmed from a sort of deep-seated conviction that we can all live well. We just gotta figure out how. <laughs> um, that's where it stemmed from, ultimately. Back in 10th grade. Mm -hmm. So when did you then start to train in the field? Mm, that began, you know, I would almost say immediately because I'm so after that class, I also had an acquaintance who, <laughs> who began showing me uh, videos that were published by PETA about the treatment of animals and things of that nature. And that was my first time seeing that kind of content. And it was also the first time that I entertained this notion that I could eat and live, but exclude me. Prior to then, that wasn't even a thought that I had had, um, which was huge for me. And so when I began to see those videos and be introduced to this notion that you don't need, you don't have to eat meat if you don't want to, um, I was like, rock on. Like, so what else am I eating that I don't have to eat? <laughs> or what else am I taking in that is contributing either to my dis-ease or unease? Uh, to myself or another and that's when that conversation began and so I began to eliminate certain things from my diet and when I felt the physical improvements from that I was like OMG <laughs> there's more to uncover and so the practice of altering my lifestyle in pursuit of a greater sense of vitality and wellness began almost you know figuratively immediately <laughs> But in terms of formal training, um, I ended up attending USM. They didn't have a major in holistic health, and I really wanted that term and program, holistic health, because I understood early that it wasn't just food that contributes to health or unease or disease. It wasn't just mind, but it's all of it together. And so I wanted, I was attracted to anything with the term holistic. I was there. Anyway, so. They had a minor. I took the minor and after that I was not satiated. They only had like maybe three or four classes at the time. Um, so I then went on to pursue any sort of program. I mean, I went to Toronto, I went to Massachusetts <laughs> looking for programs on holistic health. And I ended up settling on a certification program based out of California. And that's where I got my formal training. Right on. Yeah. yeah. So I'm curious, so you cut meat out of your diet, mm. what else have you cut out? So I definitely avoid, at, to the best of my ability, um, dairy. Those are like the two big culprits that don't have a good time with me. <laughs> Whenever I dance with them, like the dance just never ends up so well. So I try to stay away from those guys. Uh, who else? Um, 
everything else is how could I say it's like a uh, not case by case but like a seasonal kind of thing so sometimes I'll be sometimes I'll do dance with do dances with grains a little more than other times um, but I will say like the stars of my dietary world are fruits and vegetables I mean I know it sounds so basic and I was like gosh Alvin could you be a, a little more creative I can't <laughs> um, there is so much hydration and electricity that I get from the fruits and from preparing veggies and unique ways that really sits comfortably in my body so um, yeah and I understand that that's not the case for everyone but there is a way that I think everyone can kind of tweak the things that they consume to make them feel like a little bit more supple and shiny <laughs> So where the dance can turn into a romance. Yes, I like that. Um, it's a song. I think it's the Mary Jane Girls. Okay. Dance turned into a romance. Dance turned into a yeah. romance. Probably written by Rick James, but oh yeah, that don't sounds appropriate. That. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I like how you said like seasonally you adjust. So mm. in the winter, do you do more grains? Yeah, in the winter, I would say that my foods become more heavier, so I turn more into like the squashes and the pumpkins and. Um, you know, those more uh, kind of root vegetables, the sweet potatoes. Um, and then, yeah, sometimes I'll dabble with like the, the lighter grains, like the quinoa, the millet, the buckwheat, things like that. Um, but then summertime, I mean, it's mostly fruits, veggies, juices, smoothies. Yeah, light and light and fresh. Yeah. Do you cook your vegetables? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some... I've heard of people doing raw. Yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm very familiar with that. And again, seasonally, I feel like being in Maine, man, these winters are so brutal. Mm. And it can be tough to do cold on cold <laughs> or raw on, you know, raw on co in, in cold weather. Um, and I love that warmth, too. And, and even the book that you were referencing earlier, um, they talk a lot about, like, the qualities of different foods and how that... Um, being mindful of the quality of food so not just quality like good apple bad apple but more so quality in terms of uh, the, t the different tastes so bitters sweet things now not sweets in terms of like candies and fruits but even sweet um, in reference to like like a sweet potato how that's more like uh, grounding nourishing and um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There's just like a kind of a comfort to a sweet potato in comparison to let's say like a broccoli, which would be more of like a bitter, uh, which would have more of like a bitter quality, for example. More fresh and raw as we get into like spring, summer, and then as we transition into fall, naturally kind of more heavier items. Yeah, uh, and so summer, spring and summer is like above ground and then fall winter is like below ground items <laughs> which makes sense because that's what can grow exactly in that time exactly yeah yeah are you a gardener you know what an aspiring aspiring one it's coming like it's it's living this lifestyle and um being so close to these you know with being having the kind of relationship that i do with food it just it's just natural um, but you know what again time <laughs> just I have to make the time for it and um, 
and avail that energy. I didn't avail that time or energy this season, but definitely it's coming up soon. Yeah, something about homegrown and you just, you did that yourself. Like it just brings you, again, talking about like the quality in the art, it brings more of an art to the meal that you're eating. Cause you're not just eating any old cucumber. You're eating cucumber that you planted and you picked. Like that's special. Been so great chatting with you. Thank you so much, Alphine. Um, how can ITP listeners get in touch with you? What's the plug? Yes, the plug is I would say at this moment in time, Instagram is really the star of the show. Um, so Instagram is my name, Alfie Natalie, and that's A L F as in fruits, I N E N A T H A L I E. Um, you can find me on Instagram. I'm on YouTube. I have a channel there. Um, where else? Gosh, there's so many. I mean, if you want to be technical, I'm on Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, Pinterest, Patreon. I think that those are the key ones. Yeah, any one of those. Just type in my name and you'll find me. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. If you like what you've heard and want to hear it again, or want to check out our archive of past shows, look for us at inthepocket.captivate.fm or search In The Pocket on iTunes or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at In The Pocket and give us a follow so you never miss a show. Creative Portland supports the creative economy through the arts by providing essential resources by fostering partnerships, and by promoting Portland's artistic talents and cultural assets. As an arts agency, Creative Portland supports economic development efforts by strengthening and stimulating Portland's workforce, creative industries, and enterprises. For more information, it can be found at creativeportland.com.